back from France now, or he's going. So he's going to Italy maybe this weekend. It's uh, he's been in France all this weekend, all this week. Oh, nice. Because I was like, you should go. You should do the before sunset tour. <laughs> I'm sure he's living the dream. And he bro. was he was like, oh well, I don't know. He's like. He goes, he goes, all his places are probably gone. He said, that coffee shop's probably gone. I was like, I looked up at like before sunset coffee shop in the, in the, in Paris. Yeah. He's like, and I'm like, not still here. And I don't know if he went, but I also be like, Paris is not like America. Yeah, like yeah. they don't get rid of shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, like uh, that's, that's the problem with like, with America sometimes. Well, they like, actually like, like, uh, they actually they want to like cherish their, their history. Yeah, cherish their history. <laughs> so that's the problem with LA is that like a lot. Well, that's of the crazy thing about Europe in general. Like you, like you walk down to, and these, these things are like hundreds of years old. Yeah, why? It's wild. You know, it's wild. Or even there's still stuff from World War Two. Yeah. Like, no, yeah, that's not that's yeah. not a hundred years old. Yeah. But like, just like stuff that like, oh yeah, this is that's building that we got built back. Like, there's stuff like that, and I think sometimes like, LA is I think fits in this mold a lot. Is that like they really don't care about history a lot of the time a lot of the time like there's a period like basically what's happened is that in the 60s into the 80s no one really cared about preservation and so places just fell by the wayside yeah. or got torn down or whatever it's like talking about i mean we did this with sunset boulevard and we talked about the house in that movie where they were just like oh let's build an office complex and no one gave no one cared that time that it was yeah. it was a big important house in a movie and it was owned by a Getty owned by J. Paul Getty. It was just like let's tear it down and build an office complex. And now, granted, the office complex is still standing. But yeah, but this are, beautiful are, house. But is, now with people working hybrid, is it being used? As yeah, much exactly. As a, you know? That's the other thing too. But like, there's just it's funny. And after living in LA just for like say almost a decade now, it's eight eight nine years. It's like you already see changes of like older places being yeah. torn down, a big apartment complex being built. And we like, should do just this neighborhood, right? Exactly right. where we're at. But like, uh, I'm not gonna say where we're at because right, it's right. a podcast. I don't want to know where I live. Um, but <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, if you go to other places, Paris, and there's and there's probably as someone who I'm not, I don't live in Paris, I don't know, but there's probably places where like they are tearing stuff down, putting some else up. But like, there's at least like certain places I know where like, like the buildings are at least still there and it's things built inside of it. Here it's like let's tear down this old building and yeah, build something that looks slick and 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 not colorful no texture to it and you know that's my rant on i have things i i here's i don't know much about architecture but there's some things that just bother me that like <laughs> like i have a whole rant about like how fast food restaurants like look terrible nowadays because used to okay i'm gonna go into it now Used no, to, I want to hear this. I'm used fascinated. to like because you to, look at like the the uh, evolution of Taco Bell. Yeah, right? exactly. So like used to growing up, we went to a fast food restaurant. It had a very specific look to it. Taco yeah. Bell had a specific look. Wendy's has specific yeah, look with yeah. that, with I can that atrium. It now. Yeah, McDonald's has specific look. Um, Burger King, all these different places have specific look to them. Crystals, even for God's sakes. Like I don't know. I think we had a crystals in Lexington. We might we probably we had a crystal. It was yeah. just like it but was, it's like the White Castle. Yes, yeah, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Crystals, yeah. yeah. Um, but like everything has specific, even Arby's, but everything has specific thing and specific signage, all that stuff. And if you go to fast food restaurants nowadays, they almost look the exact same, just yeah. a different color scheme. Like it's, it's more like modern buildings. So they take away the atrium of the Wendy's, take away the, 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 the colorful stuff of like a Taco Bell or whatever. Do they even have like the playpen McDonald's anymore? Is that it? Um, I mean, as in like building new ones. I feel like, I, I don't feel know. Like, I feel like that's I don't, not it. I don't know thing anymore that's thing anymore but yeah it's like i just think back to like like i have just like when all these places look different now because it's all about modernizing it but yeah. like in turn 
it's almost like they're all built by the same company is the thing. And they had to have like a floor plan for this is what a Wendy's is. This is what this is. But we'll just change the color scheme a little bit to make it different. And like if you go to like a Domino's in my hometown, it looks the exact same as a Wendy's in my hometown, except the, the, the color scheme's changed. Right. And like a Domino's shouldn't look a Wendy's. That's my whole argument. Like the Domino's <laughs> should not look a Wendy's. Um, and it's there should be more like so, so yeah it's just like there should be more I don't know why I'm defending fast food restaurants but there should be like more character to your place is the thing and I think now everything's trying to be modernized you, you lose yeah. character yeah, it's the corporatization of, of fast every food. Of, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it, which is gonna happen but well, like, I mean I'm sure I'm sure some element of it is like there it's probably like they don't have to put as much money into the design exactly right? yeah. well that's that's the thing is that you can just like it's just it's a carbon copy of a carbon right, copy right. type thing but no it's just like it loses like Everything ends up looking the same to me is the thing, and I, and I love like ha- like a, like a Wendy's having an atrium like yeah. that was just wild nowadays. Well, I feel like even chain restaurants have kind of kind of, kind I of agree. lost their. I agree. Lost that same. Unique, they all look the same. Yeah, yeah. I went into a Johnny Rockets one time at Universal, and I almost like rioted the place. <laughs> it wasn't an actual. Diet. I went. I was. I and this, again, this is so stupid. I know this, but like I went to Johnny Rockets, and I don't know if it's still this way now. But it was when I first came here. Dude, a lot of things have closed on at uh, University. Oh, University? Crazy. Yeah, Ro- yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. doubt that. But I went there and I was like, let's go to this Johnny Rockets. And I walked in and I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I was like, I was like, this is, it's is insane. Because it, it looked like a sports bar. And I was like, this is not Johnny Rockets. <laughs> I was, as like a 22-year-old guy, I was like so upset. And they're just like, can you stop? I like, it was like a school trip here. Yeah. And they're just like, can you stop? I was like. No, I want, I want to speak to the supervisor. I want, to to the supervisor. <laughs> I want corporate. Snow. Where are my jukeboxes? Where is everyone dressed in white? Where what's the what, twenty dollar milk? Why are there? Why are they wearing blue polos right now? What is going on? This is not a Fuddruckers, okay? Which I also like Fuddruckers. Anyway, but no. I, I do like Fuddruckers quite a bit. I, well, I haven't been. But since I, was, I was a kid. But. but I was just like, I was like, why is it so colorful in here? Like in terms of like <laughs> yellows and blues and like, this is a Johnny Rockets. Yes, it's very specific in the color scheme. <laughs> This we can't get crazy here, and it was just like it like they just put Johnny Rockets in the front, and they oh, it was a different restaurant before. Anyway, it's all been downhill from there. It's been downhill. But, but real quick before I, we dive into the whole episode, the one thing I was going to tell you today, yeah. um, I mentioned earlier, I found a Frankenstein fact. Um, we're all over the map in this beginning. Um, <laughs> this Frankenstein fact, um, I was reading because we had the strike going on. We talked about last yeah, week yeah. with the writer strike, and now there's a possibility of a Screen Actors Guild tri- strike. They're talking. They just they just announced that they have put to a vote if they can authorize a strike. So they're out to the, the guild members. And what I read is that Boris Karloff was one of SAG's original charter members. Oh, no way. He was technically the ninth, like his number, his SAG card number is number nine. When they had the first meeting in about, about possibly forming a union, they held it at, Boris Karloff's garage is what it was. That's awesome. Because he was one of the big supporters of a union because of his work on Frankenstein and the Mummy, because of the um, the how long they're making them work to put the makeup on, right? Him, and because of the working conditions of the makeup. Another big a big uh, supporter of this was Bela Lugosi, who we also talked about last or uh, on Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Both these two horror icons were just like, yo, they're mistreating us because, like, I think Karloff said that like. The point that really made this way was on Frankenstein or the Mummy, where he had to work a twenty-five hour day, and he was just like, "This is ridiculous." Yeah, and so he was a really big supporter of forming the Screen Actors Guild and the Actors Union, basically. And he held the first meeting 
In his garage. In his garage. Because hey, he was kind of probably the more popular. I don't know what, what why it was his. Maybe he was like, it was po- it was post Frankenstein, post the mummy. Because um, I think the SAG was formed like 33 is what it was. And Frankenstein's 31. So he was at a point where he could probably do it. But yeah, it's like, and he, and he we talked about on the show is that he had been around for since the 1910s. So he had seen a lot of stuff and how it had gone. And he was a big, big supporter of coming in and kind of putting more uh, laws in place yeah. to, to, to protect the actors and protect people, people on sets in general. That's um, awesome. But, but I found that fascinating. Yeah, yeah. We just talked being, we just talked about, talked about Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and so, yeah, so I'm Brian Sparks. I'm Dave Glenn Four, And this is a nation podcast. And this month we've been discussing monster movies and this is monster movie may it's the last episode of our main kind of series on monster movies and so david what have we been talking about this month regarding the monster movie genre yeah i think that's one thing that i found interesting uh, diving into predator last week is like how how all four of these movies are different sort of combined genres with monster movies you know like frankenstein is to me is like a pure monster movie but it's even has like the mad scientist tropes and it's it's still like mm-hmm. you know has that sci-fi element um and then american werewolf in london is more of like a coming of age yeah. horror comedy as you know has that horror comedy Fish aspect. Out of water type yeah, story yeah, yeah, yeah and then um and then in the case of predator it's like an action it's a war, yeah, action, action horror, horror movie yeah, in yeah, a way sci-fi yeah. horror, horror movie it's like a blending of all this and yeah. then today we we have like a modern modern day uh, monster movie that, yeah. that has sci-fi elements, has horror elements, um, and comedy elements as well. Comedy elements, yeah. 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 And we'll talk about kind of the comparisons because Joe Cornish, who wrote and directed this movie, had a lot of different references, some of which we've talked about this month, uh, yeah. regarding uh, kind of creating the world of Attack the Block, which is the movie today. But yeah, it's we've talked about the different kind of character archetypes. We've talked about, like, there's the mad scientist, there's... Um, kind of the i think one big thing i'm noticing too is the idea of how a lot of movies i think post the early frankenstein dracula movies it's the like what if you put a monster in this world yeah yeah. it's like like we take this community this exactly this, uh, let's, let's or, t- or this this like uh in in the case of of predator it's like the jungle yeah. you know let's like take let's take yeah, let's take this alien warrior and put him in like Vietnam, you yeah. know, it's not Vietnam, I know, yeah, but like yeah. put it, put him in the jungle, the Cold War, and, and, yeah, yeah, a Cold War type assignment, no. or it's the oh, let's put a werewolf on these two guys, uh, uh, Who backpacking trip yeah, yeah. through Europe. What would you do if you're backpacking through Europe and a werewolf came out? It's like it's very much like what if this, which is very much the basic basis of filmmaking. But it's interesting, kind of seeing how it's evolved over time by being that question of like what happens when you put aliens coming into a suburban area mm-hmm. well it's, you could get close encounters third kind you could get et or you could get attack the block is the thing um it, it's it's similar thing with edgar wright does with Shaun of the dead it's like what do you do if, if zombies came to your town and it's a slacker that's kind of yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> and you're just a regular dude who works a regular job with his with his roommate playing video games yeah it just kind of it takes that thing and so attack the block and all these movies have done kind of does it's, they take that aspect of like what if you take this regular person and this specific community right. and put a monster, put something supernatural, yeah. otherworldly? Because in the case of all those movies, like they could have just done the straight, like without the, the genre yeah. element, right? They could have just done yeah. a straightforward drama about a guy, you know, in China. Yeah. It's like workplace. I mean, honestly, with Attack the Block, it's like you can yeah. do a straight drama about like the class system and class system yeah. and, and South London and, and the misunderstandings around 
race and things like that. But it's like, oh, what if we do all that? But we put aliens. Right. It makes it more fun and makes it more marketable. And <laughs> yes. It may, but it's, it's a way to yeah, kind of get it where it's not just about one thing. Right. It's about two different things. Yeah. Or even in the case of Frankenstein, like we said, like, like you can take the like these kind of concepts and, and uh, explore, you know, deeper, you know, social aspects or, um, you know, some aspect of human condition th- through yep. metaphor. You know, it doesn't yeah. have to be. Again, like I said, with James Well being an openly gay right. director and in, in Hollywood at that time, where Frankenstein and then I think Bride of Frankenstein, this idea of kind of exploring the exploring the idea of otherness in a in a certain society and kind of what people think is going against societal norms in some way, uh, and kind of how you can be cast out because of being different in, right. in society's eyes. Um, and it's funny kind of saying all that we're talking about Frankenstein. I think this is a very similar thing with Attack the Block is that with John Boyega's character, Moses, is that he's seen as this... Like a thug. A thug. Yeah. And also it's kind of funny kind of bringing this idea of like nature versus nurture is that these characters who are considered hoodlums or thugs or, or, or gang members or whatever in this kind of thing is that in some cases they're, they're this way because... There's just their 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 uh upbringing has made right. Brom this way, or but like were they destined to be this way because like with Boyega's character is that he lives in a place with no adult yeah, like no supervision, insert, yeah, supervision and like he's 15 years old and just doesn't really know what to do. All he knows is he has to survive. Yeah, and um, well, one he, one thing I found interesting on this watch is like how much pride they still have for their block. Exactly. You know, not only just them, but like everybody in the community that they yeah. that they uh, run into kind of has a, has pride for this yeah. for their neighborhood, which is exactly. all, which is kind of it was a very interesting uh, yeah way to explore this. And, and it, that that makes sense as we go and talking about Joe Cornish's kind of background with writing this. So with today, we're talking about Attack the Block. If you didn't know this, uh, Attack the Block released in 2011, written and directed by Joe Cornish, starring John, John Boyega, Jody Whittaker, Nick Frost, and several other young actors. Alex. Ismail, Fran, Franz, Dramay, Leon Jones, Simon Howard, Luke Treadaway, uh, Jamayen Hunter. I apologize if I butchering his names. Basically, Attack the Block, as kind of been talking about, it's about these. It's actually on Guy Fox Night, by the way. I can't remember. I think I missed that in the movie, but it's takes I did place, too. Yeah, it takes place on Guy Fox Night, which is November November 5th. Um, remember, remember the fifth and all? Yeah, if you've seen it, you forget. Yeah, it's Bonfire Night. So, big, so that's why all the fireworks are happening and everything oh, like I that. See. Um, and so basically, uh, it's about a teenage street gang in South London, street gang in, in South London. Uh, and you kind of meet them by, they rob this kind of nurse who's recently, I think still in school or about to get out of school or, or just gotten out of school. Um, Samantha played Jody Wicker, uh, Jody Wicker's robbed or Samantha's robbed by this, this teenage gang one night. And then she kind of files a police report and the police end up trying to arrest the kids but before they get arrested uh the kids meet one-on-one with an alien or something that's fallen out of the sky a a kind of hairless alien that they kill and capture and then take back to their their friend's weed weed room basically um and at a certain point more aliens uh arrive and begin attacking the block and these young kids end up becoming kind of the first line of defense because they're the first ones to meet face to face with these alien predators. Uh, and Samantha, the person who is filing a report on them for the, uh, for the robbery ends up kind of getting in with them because she's attacked by the aliens when they're trying to arrest them. And so the whole movie is them 
trying to protect their block and find out why these aliens are here are, are here. Um, so I had seen this once before. It was what kind of really kind of grabbed me when I first saw it. And this, I came to it much later. I think it was again, like a video rental. It was like one I'd heard about and it was post, uh, star Wars force awakens with, it was, so it was probably 2015 or so when I saw this the first time. Um, cause John Boyega being in star Wars force awakens, um, and hearing this was kind of his first breakout movie. Um, so I came to it that way. Do you have a history with this movie besides? I'd only seen it once before in college. Yeah. And I, I feel like, yeah, it must have been at, it must have been after Force Awakens, but I might have seen it before. Honestly, I just remember Edgar Wright was what turned me on to this. Yes, movie. yeah, because Edgar Wright's like a, a executive producer, I think. Yeah, on it. Um, yeah. and I think I think I heard an interview with him, and he was talking about this coming out, or, or the, yes. that this had came out, um, and he'd wished it had gotten more like play, I guess. And yes. So I I remember I just remember him saying that, but again, I don't know if that was pre or after um, uh, Force Awakens. So yeah, not positive, but yeah, I'd only seen it once as well. And yeah, uh, yeah it's a. Uh, it's a fun movie, and I, I can see why it kind of has this cult following. Yeah, or has had this cult following since. Yeah. And so you mentioned this time rewatching it, the idea, like the the pride in the neighborhood. Is there other stuff you noticed this time watching it that grabbed you just to begin with? Um, I guess from like a storytelling perspective, how they how they reveal kind of the mythology of these aliens, yeah. but it's still it's still somewhat theory. I mean, I think I think his theory is proven the Stoner's theory is proven right. Yeah. Which we're, I'm sure we'll dive into when we get to favorite scenes. Yeah. But I think uh it's interesting how they kind of like they're similar to Predator. Like they are discovering the threat as they're like dealing with it. Yeah. You know, so they have to keep coming up with new plans, keep you know, and that, and that's the way a monster movie like this should uh play out, right? Because yeah. it's how you keep mounting the stakes. Yeah. Survive but also figure out Yeah, that's, just, that's why I always yeah. You have to have I remember I, this was some certain script for someone is that they were kind of going into the climax. I was like, you have to have a plan. Like you can't go into a climax of a final batter, battle and not have a plan. And not, yeah, well, also like not knowing what the characters yeah, are what doing. Yeah, what the right? characters are yeah. doing. It's, you have it's, to have that moment where they're like, okay, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> and so you have to be learning something along the way of what's happening so that they can enact a plan by the end of it where your main character in simplest forms like has to do, has to make a choice. Yeah. Um, and Moses being Moses and also Samantha to an extent here. Yeah. They both have, they're the ones who are, I think the most actively involved in the final kind of climax of the thing is that Samantha has to go down there, set up the trap. So Moses can enact the trap when he gets down there, basically. Right. Um, we'll talk about that as we keep going. And, and sorry, that is another thing that stood out to me is kind of Moses's. Not, I wouldn't necessarily say arc, but like he has a very interesting like progression as a character. I think. Yeah. I know when I saw it the first time, uh, I was like, because I I love John Boyega, like I yeah. really love John and, Boyega, and this is a star making performance. It really yeah. is, and I I have loved John Boyega since I first saw him in Force Awakens, yeah. and I they did Finn Dirty though. I I've always felt like they've done Finn Dirty in that kind of trilogy. Like I think he was promised for a very big role, and if if the so called Duel of the Fate script is true, it was going to pay it off in some way and it and, I, and we didn't get it um and that's that's a that's a wasted opportunity i feel like um but boy he was good in detroit when we just rewatched that for Catherine bigelow yeah, he's really good in that, and very different roles he, from this and yeah force awakens he's great in red red white and blue uh, oh, which, the, uh the steve mcqueen's yeah from uh, the small axe yeah small axe series i haven't seen him in the woman, woman king yet i know he's in that i've heard I, that's really good the, i keep seeing people watch that like yeah still it's, now. it's on it's on netflix oh, I think, is that you know, or it oh. was um, I want to want to watch that came out last year was break breaking I believe is what it is where he it's kind of like a John Q esque oh, okay. movie 
um, that got good reviews that he was. I don't think I saw the trailer for this. Was it Break In? Let me see. It's it's. I think it's currently streaming on Showtime, which is the thing, which is the the issue. Yeah, Breaking. And so basically, he plays a just a shout out John Boyega real quick because. It's um yeah he's a he's a veteran who who's having financial issues and he robs a bank, and so I think he ends up like getting stuck and it's based on a real story. Oh okay. Um, of a veteran that did this, and so it's it's a uh, him, and uh, uh, Michael Kenneth Williams is also in it as well. Um, but I heard good things. It came out it came out of Sundance, and uh, yeah it has has good reviews and it's been one I want been wanting to see for a while, but just it ha- didn't have good release is the thing I believe. Yeah. Um, which is similar to this movie, Attack the Block. Um, but yeah, so we'll dive into this here with this movie. And so in the late 1990s uh, into the 2000s, writer director Joe Cornish was part of a popular comedy duo in England with Adam Buxton. And they had a sketch comedy show called The Adam and Joe Show. Uh, they also done like sketch shorts together and a radio show together. But this main show would last for four seasons or four series if you're in the UK. And Cornish, that during this show, they would essentially shoot all their sketches on their own, acting in them, lighting them, directing them, filming them. Cornish said he always trained to be a director, uh, and, and he actually went to film school previously at Born, Bournemouth Film School. And that's where he met Edgar Wright, who was also going there as well. Uh, Cornish and Wright would become friends, and Cornish said that he would soon watch Wright and several other friends step up and direct movies. But Cornish was always waiting for the right movie to kind of inspire him. Cornish said he grew up watching movies. He said one of the first movies he actually saw that influenced him to, I guess, do filmmaking, uh, or maybe it was just the first film he saw in terms of, if you're looking at your Fableman's moment of seeing Grace Show on Earth, his movie was Peter Weir's Picnic at Hanging Rock. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I was not expecting yeah. that. Yeah, and then he said he saw a lot of Spielberg movies that were kind of inspiring to him. Um, yeah, this feels definitely more Spielberg than It does, <laughs> and Spielberg will come, be a big part of just... And it's funny, too, as I mentioned later, is that he's also writing Adventures of Tintin with Edgar Wright in this mm-hmm. moment as they're kind of making this movie, as he's writing this movie. Um, but there's two things that kind of happen, and I'm not sure which one happened first, but Cornish has mentioned them in two separate occasions of what inspired him to write the story for Attack the Block. One was that he was mugged by some young kids one night in his neighborhood and said that, that during the mugging, he realized they seemed to be just as scared as he was. And he kind of became fascinated with the idea of telling a story about them. The other event that inspired him was when Cornish saw M. Night Shyamalan's Signs in 2002. And he said that when he saw that movie, he wondered what would happen if something like that happened in his hometown of South London, which is a very similar thought to what John Lannis had with yeah. American Wolf in London. I actually really like Signs, dude. I think it gets a bad rap. I, I like Signs when I saw it. I haven't seen yeah. it in over a decade, probably, but I liked yeah. it. Um but yeah, it's the idea of what if we put this type of person in this type of situation, what would happen? What would they do? At some point, he took the, he took these two ideas and put them together, thinking about how these kids, these kind of kids that are seen as hoodlums in some way in South London would possibly be the first first line of defense because many of them had, tr- had troubled lives and had to survive each day in their unsafe neighborhood. So what happens when the people you've always kind of looked down upon have to be your heroes mm-hmm. in it? Uh, and you kind of see who they truly are because you've been ignoring them this entire time. He also talked about how he wanted to kind of, he called hoodie culture, this viewpoint of people in these lower income places or other races that are looked down upon because of their surroundings and they're considered this thing because of where they're from or their race. Um, So that was a big kind of element of this that he wanted to explore. And like Wright with Shaun of the Dead, Cornish wanted to do more of a genre movie in England. 
something that he had seen he hadn't seen a lot of since the 60s and 70s with the rise of hammer horror films Cornish said he always admired first-time filmmakers who did genre movies as their first movies. He signaled out James Cameron's The Terminator and Steven Spielberg's Duel as two of his favorites that inspired inspired him with this movie. Uh, Duel, Edgar Wright also loves Duel, did a whole interview with Spielberg just about Duel. That's what it was. I've only seen that once. I needed to revisit I that. Like, I like yeah. Duel. Um, he also said he was wanting to make a movie like E.T. or Gremlins that combined a suburban or urban environment with a fantastical element. In terms of other movies that he was inspired by for the script writing process and probably directing side as well, Cornish listed John Carpenter as a big influence, specifically with Assault and Precinct 13 being the big one. Oh, I can see that. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, he said it was a mix of a gang movie and a monster movie. So he looked to movies like The Warriors, Rumblefish, and The Outsiders for the gang element. And then for the monster aspect, he looked for to Tremors, Gremlins, Critters, The Terminator, and Predator. Uh, Cornish said that it took him a while to write the script, uh, and he said the first person or the main person who helped him out during it was Edgar Wright. At the time, he said the duo was writing Ant Man for Marvel during the pre MCU days, uh, and he said they had been spending a lot of years on it. Uh, and during that time, he learned a lot from Wright on how to write a script, but more specifically, how he learned how to structure his day around writing and how to turn off the television to actually do work. Basically, it's still one of the saddest what ifs, in my opinion. Oh, Ant Man, yeah. yeah, where he spent eight years, nine years yeah. or more on it. It was before like even Favreau came on to do Iron Man. It was like going to be like, the first like Marvel yeah. movie, and then it ends up being part of like I guess Phase Two is what it is. Um, and I think they still used like set pieces and ideas from their their script. They did, yeah, because yeah, they're, 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 they're credited credit. on. They're yeah, credited yeah, yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously, but yeah. it was more. Mar- was, yeah, more in the MCU vein in the, yeah, at, yeah. at that stage, but yeah, because because ba- well, Cornish came out recently and talked about like why Wright kind of backed out or why he thought that he backed out was that Wright he says I, he, I consider Edgar Wright an auteur and he was he was actually Dan with doing the MCU like stuff they wanted to do, but like in terms of adding the other elements to it, but it was just when you're doing an MCU movie a lot of times it's going to feel more like an MCU movie than the actual person who's directing right. it. It can be. Sometimes someone like Taika with Thor Ragnarok or whatever can come out and or James Gunn with Guardians, but not all the time. Yeah. That's all, sometimes there's kind of exceptions, it feels like, nowadays in our modern kind of iteration of MCU mm-hmm. um, or Mar- of Marvel. But yeah, so he talked about how Wright also stressed the, the purpose of research or the importance of research. Um, so but with all that, it took Cornish about three years to write the script. Because at that time, he was co-writing Ant-Man and Adventures of Tintin with Edgar Wright. And Tintin would actually end up being directed by uh, Steven Spielberg, who was one of his big influences here with this movie. Uh, Cornish said that he got a treatment together first. And then once he did that, he would walk around London to visit youth groups to tell the story to kids there. And he'd read them the treatment off the flashcards that he had brought with them. He would then ask them questions about what they would do in that situation and record these conversations. He would then go back home and transcribe all of these interviews that he had uh this is a way for him to learn the slang and speak of london teenagers at that point in time oh, interesting. he said he would end up having two full binders of transcripts from these interviews um he asked him about like what weapons would you use if if this alien attacked what would you go grab uh he interviewed gang members uh nurses and just people who lived in these tower blocks these apartment complexes um, and then finally he, he kind of started writing the script based off this. And he said that that research was the big aspect of it. One thing, a funny story that he said, one of the lines that's in the movie, he asked a girl, what would you think of this creature if you found it? 
And she goes, I wouldn't touch it. Don't want to get chlamydia is what it is. <laughs> well, don't want to get chlamydia. Uh, he goes, that went straight into the script. Uh, and main line, there are main lines like that that he took from teenagers in the area who commented on what he, what they thought of the script. Um, and even though this, the, the film uses slang, Cornish tried not to use too much so that people overseas, meaning America, uh, could understand most of the dialogue. He said that he kind of chose... For the most part, 15 specific slang words that he could place throughout the movie, which would allow audiences who don't know them to learn them as the film went on. Another slang movie Cornish compared it to was Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange and how that has very heavy in its yeah. slang. One of the biggest things he eventually had to do was cut the script down some in order for in order to kind of help with the film's budget. He said one of the sequences that he had was with Moses in kind of the big climax of the movie or towards the end of the movie where him and uh, some of the other characters are climbing and jumping from balcony to balcony on the tower block. Oh, interesting. Um, getting away from the creatures. Yeah. They had to cut it two months before shooting because of the budget. He said all in all, they ended up cutting 15 pages out of the script before they started shooting to help with the budget. In terms of casting, Cornish did not want to cast any professional actors for the teenage roles, so they went around London and met locals, met with, with kids at local schools. They auditioned regular kids, but also kids that were in like schools, drama clubs, basically. They auditioned about 1,500 kids to teenager roles. The actors who were eventually cast went through 8 to 10 different auditions before finally being cast. Oh, wow. For the lead role of Moses, Cornish would eventually cast John Boyega, and at this time... Boyega had recently attended the South Thames College, which where he performed, where he studied performing arts. And while there, Boyega played the lead role in Othello, a production of Othello at the at the at the college. Uh, he also was studying at the Identity School of Acting in Hackney, which is a borough in London. And around then, around that time of all his studying and performing, Boyega read an online ad about an audition for Attack the Block. Soon he would be cast in the role of Moses after auditioning, after seeing this ad. Uh, before being cast in Attack the Block, Jodie Whittaker had mainly been playing supporting roles in some British movies or acting in theater. Uh, she was also doing a lot of short films, which makes me feel like because she's you're starting out in the city. I feel like it how it is in L.A. where you're, you're acting in a bunch of like student films or whatever. Mm-hmm. But she was in one short film that was actually nominated for an Oscar for Best Live Action Short, and that was Wish 143. Um, but Attack the Block would eventually be one of her first, if not her first, like starring role. Because yeah, I remember her from that... Um Black Mirror episode, but I think it came out the same year as this, if I'm not mistaken. Let me see. I'm not sure. And I know she's in, she's in um Broadchurch, but that's two years later. Yeah. So, but yeah, the Black Mirror episode came out in 2011. Oh, the entire so, history of you. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. in that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she's like the female but that, but that comes out in December yeah. of 2011, right, right, which would have been at after, which is yeah. months out. Yeah, yeah. And I'm assuming they probably shot this first. Yes, yeah. this was shot in March of 2010. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, so she really hadn't done anything before this, and then when it comes to Nick Frost. Who plays the <laughs> the guy who has the weed room, the most the safest place in all in the whole neighborhood, probably. Safest uh, place on the block. Uh Nick Frost, he was in Cornish's camp because of his collaborations with Edgar Wright. But Cornish had also done a radio show with Nick Frost in two thousand one called This Week Only. It was like a topical discussion show. Um so with all that, with the pieces coming together, with the script coming together, Let's talk about favorite scenes. So, David, what's one of your favorite scenes in this movie? Uh, the first thing that I, I noted was that first alien attack beca- mm-hmm. because I think it's it's it, it's a it's a cool sequence, but also the fact that it happens like five minutes into the movie. Yeah. And granted, uh, as I'm sure we'll discuss, that mm-hmm. is that is obviously the inciting incident because that first alien attack leads to all the rest of the movie essentially. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's uh. 
it, it instantly establishes this group. Yep. Um, but it also, it, the whole concept that you're, that you're saying mm-hmm. is like, what what happens if this if we have an alien attack on this you know with these kinds of characters mm-hmm. uh, with, this, with this group of of teenagers, um, you know. Uh, they're criminals essentially, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, or they're, they're they're assumed criminals, um, and so yeah, I mean it, it it just sets the entire movie in motion, and it doesn't really let off the gas for the rest of it. I mean, there's moments where they kind of no. like, you know, they like we talked about, like they band together and, and make a plan for the next, you know, how they're going to handle yeah. the next uh, attack. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, I was just really like looking at the rest of the the movies that we we watched this uh, for this series. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me that this like it just drops you right in it. It does. Yeah. It does. <laughs> it doesn't really waste any time. Right. Yeah. Um with getting you into the movie and, and we'll, we'll talk about more on onset life. Um, cause it's, it's a, it's a fast paced film and, and yeah, it's a great intro. To these characters where like, it's just Jodie Whittaker walking and then here's these gang members. They try to mug her. And then she goes to the cops alien shows. It's, it's like bam, bam, bam. We're moving through the beats yeah. very quickly. And then even from there, they're like, okay, where's the first place we're going to go to the, the weed. <laughs> it's like, wait, let's and that's like a little bit of the slow moment. Yeah. But then once the creatures all kind of come down from, yeah. from the sky, that's when basically all hell breaks loose. All of that quote, he's like, no man, it's an alien invasion. Of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I love, yeah, I even love kind of the, the, the whole mugging scenes done very well. But yeah, this idea you're talking about pride of the block where it's like, boy, I was like, not our block when they go and attack right. the, the alien, yeah. the female alien in the whatever like kind of playground and the play it's really in the playground area where they're at when they attack when they when they uh, when they kill the, the that alien. Well, it's interesting too because it's like these aliens are attacking them on their turf as opposed yes. to like some monster movies where we go to. Uh, yeah, we go to their turf. Yeah. yeah. Um. No, and I love and then right after that, well, I, again, I love the alien the, when the aliens start raining down. Yeah, like yeah. on on the on the town on London, South London. Oh, I think basically. it's I think it's um, Nick Frost characters that's like is that uh, is that fireworks or something? Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it was the stoner guy. It's maybe yeah. it's the stoner guy. But yeah, everybody's like, fireworks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and then when all that starts happening, but I love when the, like the the when all of them are just like we got we got to protect our block. Yeah, and they all run and get like their weapons. Right. Is the thing. And what, I was like, why does one guy have a samurai sword? Yeah. Like it's just wild. Which has a great payoff. It does. It well, does. multiple times actually, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love. I think one of the kids is like, I, I feel. I just feel like going home, locking my door, and playing FIFA. Like he just already like, <laughs> wants to check out of this. But yeah, but I and I think the the reveal of the the male aliens is really cool. Yeah, because y- you kind of see them in silhouette in a way, but you see their glowing teeth. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. It's just like a really interesting image that hadn't hadn't been explored, you know, in, in monster movies before. Yeah. And, and obviously it's not revealed till later that that's the male version of the species. And the one mm-hmm. they killed is the female version. The first one they killed is the female version. Um, that's revealed later, which we'll talk about, but yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's like the, the design of the, the alien here is really cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, both, both, uh, both the male and female. No, I, I yeah. agree. That was, that was nice. I, I, the alien yeah. designs are just incredible. Like, yeah, yeah. like, the, like it's so unique and the way it's like the way they kind of add like CG to it and some or like right. kind of uh, um, digital elements to it, but it's still like, it's still, it's practical. still like a practical. It suit, feels yeah. real. Yeah. Um, and they just, they plus it basically by adding these kind of digital, th- which digital is how it aspects. should be. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, and it's just, it's such, inve- it's, it's inventive is the thing. It's like, Oh, jet black, like pure black. Right. Uh, I mean, and that was the image I remembered from this movie yeah. was that like the glowing teeth in yeah. the dark, you know? Exactly. Um, but yeah, that part, and then you have I, what I've seen right now is the police car chase they have yeah. that they're doing, um, that turns into well, it kind of goes in, like pretty much from 
that scene, and then they're trying to break them out of the police car when the the aliens kind of trap them right there. Um, and then even just like le- going leading into like going back to the block in the tower, the tower block like garage when when that kind of crash happens with the uh, with the real villain of the movie. Um, Hi hats. Hi hats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I, 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 we, in the weed den scene, I also love his like his rap song that he wants to show. Well, he's yeah. show, he's showing everybody. I'm yeah, assuming yeah. that goes into that room, but he's like Moses, check this out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Hi hats is a fascinating character, and I love his, uh, yeah, his like his journey in this movie yeah, yeah. Um, of trying to chase these kids down because they they destroyed his car. Oh, he thinks they destroyed. <laughs> yeah, it was so wild. Like he almost like I think he. I mean, he he first he's like doubtful of aliens. And then, like, there's no way to doubt it, but he's still just, nah, I gotta yeah. forget my car. He's still, he's still putting the blame like, on Moses. Yeah. Look how many, look how many aliens there are here. What are we doing? <laughs> oh he's man. Like, no, I gotta, I gotta get these kids for. I gotta show them who's boss in this, in, the, in this town. But like, when they return to the block, they go to like Jodie Whittaker's apartment. And I, I think that's a great scene. Um, yes. Because that's kind of when it's revealed that oh, she's also she also lives here. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think they thought they were mugging somebody that. Well, they, they, they yeah. reveal that they thought they were mugging somebody that was dead that didn't live on their block, mm-hmm. um, and then later he tries to apologize. I love that scene as well. Um, and, she, and he's like, he's trying to apologize to you, man. Yeah, she's, she's trying to apologize to you. Well, I think, yeah. and this might be jumping ahead, but yeah. I, I, I want to kind of say it because it kind of adds a different perspective to Moses. Like, this is what's kind of funny when you go back and rewatch it. Is yeah. like. When you find out Moses is so young, yeah, and is basically on his own, like the scene I'm that hit me the first time I watched this movie and it hits me again this time is when when Samantha and Moses go into his apartment, yeah, and she's like, "Where's your uncle or what, who who lives here yeah. with you?" And because like you walk in and it's like there's pizza boxes on the floor, like sleeping bags on the on the ground, like the couches, like pushed around like it's just it's empty like it's dusty like it had but has like a picture of him as a young kid and then she looks into his room and like it's it looks like a kid's room yeah it's like with like, like how old are you yeah she was like, yeah. like oh do you have a little brother yeah. and he's like no and it's like he's like a spy like a spider-man blankets or whatever yeah. and like just what it because it, i think she, i think they shoot they, they film boyega from the back so we or just see the kind of the side of his face and he's so good, like in this moment. And Whitaker's good too, where she's like, it's hitting her, like when she asks, like, "How old are you?" He's right. like fifteen, and she realizes like he's just a kid. Yeah, and and he's having to go through this stuff like every day, and but for some reason he's he's so confident in his age. Like for fifteen, he's he's cool, he's calm. Mm-hmm. That was a big thing. Is that. Boyega just like he oozes star power, I think, just in this role. Absolutely. When he's playing a fit, even though he was 18, yeah. but he's playing a 15 year old. And with the character, I wonder how much of that is him trying to kind of get the street cred and trying to, yeah. like, you know, pr- or profess that he has this street yeah. cred, right? Because no one else is around to, right. to help him. To in give any him way. that validation. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, and I do love his speech. I think that happens before that scene where he kind of talks about. He, uh, they, they, he, theor- I think this is with the girl. He's either with the girls or with in Jody Whitaker's apartment, mm-hmm. but he, he kind of theorizes that. This is the government, you know. He says like, first they sent the drugs, then they sent the yep. guns, you know. So we destroy ourselves, and then they sent monsters, the monsters. aliens. Yeah. Like, um, it's just like they want they want to destroy us, but it's right. Like, but but thematically, I think that you know that tra- travels overseas to here as well. You know, with the yeah. crack, crack, everything. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's but it's just the way and the way people view how we with how we do certain neighborhoods and things like that, and how we well historically, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, 
but no, he's he's just he's so great to watch in this movie. Um, and like, and then as an action star too, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think the set pieces are largely him. Yeah, or at least he's the one that takes the alien. He's the main, yeah, he's the main one. Yeah. Well, and speaking of set pieces, and we're hopping around here, but like the 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 hallway scene when like they're going, he's leading him through, and it's yeah. like fought when it's the smoke bombs gone yeah. off or whatever. When the, when the fireworks have gone off, so it's smoky, and like you're just hearing kind of noises and the lights are going on yeah. and off and the, they lose one of their friends. If one of the friends gets lost out of the group and then he's like, you're hearing like them calling his name and then just, he gets like killed by yeah this, that's the, one of the aliens. That's the only thing I want to give this movie credit for. It does not like, like it doesn't hold back. No, that's <laughs> why I was surprised by this. Time. I forgot yeah. how many of it's the pretty friends gnarly. died. But also like the, the deaths are pretty gnarly. The, the yeah. deaths are pretty gnarly. And it shows them like the, the yeah. one of hi-hats where it's like it's yeah. like we're basically it's almost like raptors yeah like coming on to him and like eating him up basically and like it's like they'll cut, they'll go in front of the camera and you'll see him get bloody yeah. and then they'll go back in front of the camera and it'll get bloodier and it's like to where like part of his face it's like it's right. really brutal um but really really fantastic for this type of movie um Again, previously with hi hats too, I love like the 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 ele- the kind of the elevator kill or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when like I'm like, oh, he's dead. Yeah, and then he like comes he walks out, just out covered, just covered in blood. It's the stoner guy, right? That's how yeah. The, uh, <laughs> I love that guy. I was, oh, I think it's earlier than that when when he's when it's just the stoner guy and, and Nick Frost character like sitting on the couch mm-hmm. and <laughs> what does he say? Um, Oh, they're they're talking about like this uh, this concept. So it's the stoner guy and Nick Frost sitting on the couch. And they're talking about this this concept of alien invasion, like what mm-hmm. they would what they would how they're gonna handle it. Mm-hmm. It's so funny, dude. Uh, Nick Frost is Nick Frost is perfect, but him playing off that the stoner yeah. guy is great. No, uh, he yeah. Fr- Frost. One of my favorite ones with him is when because out because he didn't touch the alien. I don't think right. Or maybe he does, like the the female, because the whole thing. No, is no, that, I think he just sees it and he's like, okay. "Whoa, what is it?" And yeah, then, yeah. Because the whole thing is that they, they they leave like they want to store it there. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, well, yeah, they want to store it there, but like, but the alien, oh, because they the touch blood. it, yeah. leaves the blood, and that's what that's what they're attracted to while they're kind of chasing them, and while I can find them wherever they go to. But I love when Samantha walks out of the when they're hiding in the weed room, and they walk out, and Frost is like in another room. He goes, "Hey, is it safe?" And she like shakes her. He goes, "Okay." Good luck. And he shuts the door. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay, good, good luck. Nick Frost's comedic timing is just—it's always been there, dude. It's always been there. No, he—he's great. Um, and he's like, this is the perfect character to like put in that in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> the one that has the weed in. Oh, okay, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh man. But yeah, and I also I said earlier talking about him doing a speech of like. What happened? But also, they're basically kind of informing Samantha, "Hey, we're gonna get blamed for this." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. like we're gonna be blamed yeah. for this because of who because we are and where we are. Somebody where I think at. suggests to call the cops or something. And yeah, just like, and they're like, well, there's, like, there's no point. Yeah, we're yeah, gonna, they're like, two cops are dead. Yeah. Like, like bunch of destruction, bunch of destruction. We're the ones that are gonna get blamed for this, not not you, anyone else. And like, and that's what kind of happens. At the end is yeah. that like they're all getting arrested, and she's like not being arrested, and. It's just like, but it's it's such a great moment when like it's like everyone's cheering his name. Yeah, and like, that's for you, bro. <laughs> yeah, like man, like just in, in terms of like a career, like like if like if we say twenty years from now and Boyega is this massive star, uh, as, as the star has grown bigger, just what a great ending of your first movie. Yeah, is it ends on your face basically, and everyone's chanting your character's name. Yeah, that's like an intro to that's a great intro to a star. Yeah, is the thing. Um. 
but yeah, and, and his whole like a kind of Moses versus the monster, like the the the, the when, it, when he pulls back, when Cornish pulls back, and like he has the swords, and he has oh, yeah. like the it strapped to the alien strapped to his back, like leading to. It's the... such a cool shot. Like yeah. it's so damn cool. That was the other image that like had stuck with me. Yes, from first yeah. watch. Like it's 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 amazing. Um, I love that whole sequence of him leading the like how that all that shot like yeah. leading the aliens to when the aliens out yeah, to and, his apartment yeah. and even before then when like um yes yeah, when 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 Samantha goes in the apartment that's right she's on the phone with him when she's talking to him that's what it is it's, he's not in the room when she goes in the scene right, right, right. he's on but the phone but it's also cutting back to him at yeah, the, and yeah. It, and it's shooting him kind of from the back from the yeah. side and he's kind of like answering and he's he's very he's very deliberate yeah. is the thing like to the point to like, the point like, he's yeah. very to the point um. Because yeah. at that point, that's not really what's important in his opinion. He, he, no. he wants her to just put the gas on and like get out of there. Because yeah, he's you know, not answering yeah. questions about like yeah. his life. He doesn't want right. that to be known. Because again, he doesn't want anyone to know. Like, it's like when talking about the uncle, he's like he comes and goes, mostly yeah. goes. Yeah. Um, it's heartbreaking, and he's 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 so good in that moment. And I think that's a good way to deliver like backstory, right? It's like. He, he doesn't have to give a whole speech about his. No, you're we, really, we get the sense of it. Yeah, and again, through, through what she's seeing, exactly, and, and the questions she's you're asking. showing it. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to be like. And actually, you kind of learn more about his character by he doesn't avoid reacts. the questions, yeah, but yeah, yeah, how he yeah. how he how he answers them. Yeah, is that he's like he's not like oh yeah like I live with my uncle but he's never there he's it's it's he's very short and it's all it's almost kind of like a joke it's like he comes and goes yeah. Mostly goes. He's not joking, but it's the way it's kind of formed is almost like a joke. Yeah, yeah, in a way, right? He's kind of sarcastically. Uh, yeah, like not. It's how, it uh, the, just the the word choice right. is kind of a joke, not the way he says it. Correct. Is a joke if that yeah, makes like sense. Not the delivery. Yeah. Um, uh, but I do also love that this is before all that. But the the stoners, the, the stoners realize it. The stoners, the one that puts it together that they're they're tracking the female essentially. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, what did they all go to play? And it sounds like such a stoner theory, but he's right. That's what's hilarious. He's like stoned out of his mind, and he. He what realizes what's what's been happening this whole yeah. movie. <laughs> what if that was the female alien? I also do love. I, we uh, we didn't mention this, but the scene earlier when he, he we I know we're jumping all around, but he, when, he, when he comes down and he finds his car, his dad's car is destroyed, yeah, yeah. and he calls <laughs> he calls Nick Frost in the apartment. He's like, Nick Frost, like, calm down, man. It's okay. <laughs> he's like, where are you? He's like, behind the fence. <laughs> and we haven't talked about these kids, yeah. but the, but the oh the younger the real the, young yeah, kids, Mayha yeah mayhem and uh, yeah, what's the other one's nickname? I forget because they keep having mayhem to repeat it. mayhem and probes. I think yeah. At one point, when they're just when they're like, "My man's like, oh no, man, I want to." He's like, "Dude, you can't keep calling yourself mayhem. You're gonna act like a pussy." Yeah. Like, <laughs> he's like, "No one's gonna take you seriously." Yeah, and it's like those characters could have just been kind of like a sideline bit, right? But yeah. you see in the end how much Moses has inspired them because they're they're part of that chant. Exactly. At the end. Well, the whole, yeah. the whole community is a part of that chant at the end. Exactly. Right? Well, well, all the characters they kind of ran into along the way that are still alive, but they're still yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it just kind of shows yeah. again in that neighborhood just like what can happen like is that they're younger, mm -hmm. but they're trying to be tougher than what they right, are. Right. It's very similar to Moses is yeah. that he's younger, but he's he's acting tougher the way he is, but yeah. he's grown into it. And he's also trying to protect them in a way. Like he just yeah. tell, does tell them to go back to their apartment. Because, yeah, yeah. Because he understands this is not this is know, not for this is not for kids. Yeah. And he and he also it's the idea of like he wants to protect them for whatever he has to deal with. Right. And his life is a thing. Right. Um. But no, and like the one the one guy who's hiding out in the trash can. Yeah. And they, and they, <laughs> and they join him after they. Yeah. They they kill. Oh, it's the cops. Uh -huh. I think he's the one that says Moses save the universe. Yeah, Moses yeah. save the universe. Yeah. yeah. Um, um or the planet I, well, I can't remember what he said. I think, yeah but um yeah I also love that song that plays when he comes out 
and it's not on Spotify. Well, the 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 whole soundtrack's not on Spotify, but I found it on YouTube. It's called mm-hmm. The Ends by Basement Jacks. But when he's when he's walking out after he's been arrested, essentially, yeah. and he's walking to the cop car. I love that. It's like it's very much EDM of the era, but it uh-huh. works really well for the, for that scene. Um, yeah, it's a great soundtrack yeah. overall. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I think I I think I, it must be something with the rights issues with with Basement Jacks because um, none of his stuff is on. Well, none of the stuff from this movie is on Spotify. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, um, but I know Spotify. I, I don't think Spotify would probably care. To, yeah, it's yeah. To, to hunt this down. The yeah. this down. Um, but I do love that song. It's it's amazing. I, I've listened to it on YouTube a bunch, um, and I'd forgotten about it until until you're rewatching it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any more scenes? Uh, no, but I do want to mention. I, I really like the this kind of sporadically explored throughout, mm-hmm. but the group dynamic. Yeah, yeah because yeah. yes, Moses is sort of the leader. Yeah, but and he, and I think and I think it's really explored in that scene where they where they go to the girls' apartment. Yes, and you kind of yes. see the the the, the this, will they won't they with the the one girl like, yeah. the leader of their their uh, group um, yeah but yeah it's uh yeah because it and again it's like it's it's giving us um a character element to moses because somebody says like everywhere you go uh i'm paraphrasing but it's like everywhere you go like trouble falls trouble falls, yeah. yeah and it's like damn like even just his friends are you know yeah because like the girls yeah. were just like upset yeah. that he mugged this he, right did you mug this lady oh right 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 that's what it was yeah um um but yeah i i think i think it's 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 really smart how they how they pepper that dynamic, but also his, yeah, his, you know, character information. I mean, speaking of that, of that I, I love Pest, who's the yeah, yeah. <laughs> when my, he's hitting on Jodie Whittaker. When he's hitting on Jodie Whittaker, <laughs> well, she kind of laughed. Obviously, she doesn't play along, but she's kind of like, you know, she kind of lets he's it go. Like, she he, lets he, it. He, he, imagine like goes, "You're pretty fit. Got a boyfriend? <laughs> yes." And he's like, "Okay." Yeah, he he, <laughs> he kills me, man. You're pretty he's great. Well, I just love that. I love. I love that. That's like, yeah, and he's the one that says he's trying to apologize to you, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he's funny. Yeah. yeah. There, there was there was one scene whenever he's yelling, where like he had to yell so much that he had, like lost his voice the next day. It's like when they're in the basement or what, oh, the yeah. garage area. I also like, noticed his shirt. I didn't realize it because it doesn't really show his his ba- like his last yeah. shirt until towards the end. But it says Granny Magnet on it. Oh gosh. <laughs> like older woman, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I, again, it's like that group dynamic. It, it does a good job of like establishing each of them and, and kind of their mm-hmm. place in the, in the group. Listen, we can't deal with this on our own. We have to call the police. You can trust me. I'll tell them what really happened. You think the police is going to help them? They might not arrest you, but they'll arrest them. For murder of two police officers, vehicle theft, resisting arrest, everything that happened everywhere that ends tonight. They arrest us for nothing already. No, I reckon, yeah. I reckon the feds sent them anyway. Government probably bred those creatures to kill black boys. First they sent drugs to the ends. Then they sent guns. Now they sent monsters to get us. They don't care, man. We ain't killing each other fast enough. So they decided to speed up the process. So on set life. Production for the film would start on March 1st, 2010 in South London, right near where Joe Cornish grew up apparently. Most of the six-week shoot would be made up of night shoots. Uh, one of the first scenes they shot on the first night was the mugging scene between the kids and Whitaker. The cast would have a big say in their characters throughout this movie. Actually, for the last two drafts of the script, Cornish took notes from the cast on what they thought their characters would do or say in certain situations. Oh, wow. They also had a say in their characters' costume choices, like what they were wearing, but also how their bedrooms looked when they were shown. So the scenes when the kids are running through and grabbing stuff in their rooms, they yeah. had a um say in what was in there it was easy to do since all the interiors were actually built built sets essentially 
Uh, may the young cast comment on how such an older guy like Cornish was able to actly, actor, accurately portray the slang of teenagers at the time. Like such an old guy, he he, he really kind of gets kids. <laughs> um, I love how they always say "bruv," bruv, <laughs> and in it, in the, it, yeah. Oh, and I also love how they call it, refer to them as them tings. Yeah. <laughs> um. So while shooting, Cornish got worried they weren't shooting enough. He said they would do a big action scene. And then once it was cut together, it was less than three minutes. He got really worried, like, I'm going to have, like, a 15-minute movie. Oh, man. Uh, he was, like, it was, he took to, looked to his script advisor, his continuity person. No, no, this is how much it's going to be. Like, don't worry. You're good. Um, for the fictional neighborhood of the movie, Cornish said that it was a co- composite of various areas in London. Because they didn't want to ever show a, a wide shot because then you would know it was, it was not real. Um, all the tower blocks, which are high-rise apartments in London, these tower blocks, uh, were named after sci-fi writers or authors. Uh, Wyndham Tower, which is where the main kids lived, was named after John Wyndham, author of this 1953 novel, The Kraken Wakes, which begins with aliens invading Earth from outer space. More buildings were named after H.G. Wells, Douglas Adams, J.G. Ballard, and Aldous Huxley. When talking about the BMW crashing into the the police car, uh, the they only had one BMW. Oh wow! So they could only shoot it one time of when it crashes. Yeah, and they had three different cameras going to make sure they captured it all on film. Uh, Cornish also said that when you're showing a car wreck in a movie and you're showing an existent existing make of a car, you have to make sure the airbags go off because if they don't, you get into a lot of trouble with the car company. For saying their car is unsafe. Oh wow! Never thought about that. It's kind of like the the iPhone thing of like, no villains can use iPhones right. uh, in a movie. Um, it's kind of like, oh yeah, you show a car wreck, but you got to make sure like it shows the airbags go off and it's safe. <laughs> show our safety features. Yeah. Uh, besides Cornish being stressed out on set, it seemed like it was a really great environment. He was always just like, no, he doesn't yell a lot, but you can tell he's he's really pressured. Um, a lot of the kids were just like riding around on bikes, playing video games, just having a fun time. Uh, everyone said that Boyega really embodied his character off 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 camera, uh, saying he was cool, calm, and collected the entire time, kind of being the leader of the group. One of the funniest things to me was that that Whitaker was getting so annoyed with Boyega, playfully annoyed with Boyega, because he kept calling her Mrs. Whitaker, and she was <laughs> 27 and he was 18, and he just acted much older. And he said when he when he found out that she was annoyed by it, he just kept calling her that. I think to kind of yeah make her even more annoyed i guess um during the production cornish had google alerts on or some sort of google alerts of some kind uh on a, on the phone or for the phrase attack the block cornish said most of the time it was just horrible stories about being attacked about people being attacked on their neighborhood block but one day it was an alert showing that the script had been posted online as they were shooting it it was like multi been posted in multiple sites online the full Damn. script He's like, yeah, it's not a big deal, but it kind of sucks that now it wasn't private anymore. Like people actually know about it and can go seek it out. I would like to like make sure no one saw it before the movie came out. I mean, that's fascinating to me because it's like that's the kind of like that's not the kind of script you you would hunt for, you know? No. Like it makes sense when like when Hateful Eight leaked, right? Yeah. Like that was like okay, then everybody wanted to get their hands on it or, or like, like Scream the new Two R- or yeah. like Scream Two back in the day. Yeah. So, but like Attack the Block's kind of fascinating that the script leaked, you know. Because like yeah. it's it's like because like Edgar Wright's involved maybe yeah maybe or like yeah. and also maybe too is that we we being as we're not in England sure. is that he might be Joe Joe Cornish I know he is is a bigger sure name in England than here maybe people really want to see it but yeah. it was just he was kind of like he's like he's like 
because he was talking to the camera in the making of documentary. He was just like, yeah, got this thing. He goes, attack the block script, this site, attack the block script, this site. He's like, yeah, oh, well, <laughs> I mean, there's not much we can do. It just kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. it does suck. Yeah. Uh, when it came to the aliens, Cornish said that he wanted the aliens to be believable and do things that were possible. He said he hated seeing movies where aliens could just do stuff that wasn't fully explained and was just kind of other, like too otherworldly, basically. Because of that, he wanted the audience to latch on the idea of the aliens very quickly, so he made them kind of be more animal-like with terms of how they, they mm-hmm. walk and everything. He based his design of the creatures, of, of, of the aliens, off of his jet black cat is what it was oh, wow. you could see the silhouette it looked like kind of a monster if you saw his cat in like a silhouette um when it came to the green teeth he said one of his friends had dr- done a drawing of the creature with green gums he's like i'll oh, just make it green teeth is what Cornish said for the practical effects practical costumes of the aliens they had two men in gorilla like suits with animatronic jaws so because of this they only had two suits to do throughout the entire movie wow. so i guess it was all digital effects the rest of it um, they had two guys running around in these suits. Uh, they would then use a version of rotoscoping to add the spiky fur that doesn't that doesn't reflect any light. Uh, um, he had talked about how he had he was inspired to do this through by watching the early animated movies of Lord of the Rings. What it was the Ralph Bakshi, yeah. yeah. And then also Link later is like Waking Life because yeah, that's yeah. that's a version of rotoscoping. And then later Scanner Darkly. I don't know which one he saw uh, first. In the film, they had over 100 effects shots that were completed over the course of four months by Swedish effects house Fido. For the sounds of the aliens, they used the combination of dolphin sonar mixed digitally with the grunts and snarls of dozens of other animals and even a woman screaming. For the female alien, they also had a smaller actress play it by getting into another like alien-like suit is what it was. So it was actually like a small actress when, they're, when it's running around. Oh, no way. Finally, after 60 days of production with actors and about seven days for effect shots, production would wrap on Attack the Block. And that leads us to Aftermath. The film would premiere at South by Southwest in Austin, in Austin, Texas on March 12, 2011, which is exact, exact, which is actually John Boyega's birthday, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, no way. Uh, That's actually a great festival for this to play at, though. It is. No, yeah, it is. It's, per- it, it's a perfect festival for it. Especially at that time. It's not, it's not really a Sundance movie. Yeah. This is very much kind of like a... Um, indie like genre genre yeah. like move like not to say sundance can't have crowd pleasers but south by southwest fears feels more like a genre kind of infused yeah. uh um action heavy comedy here just just not 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 just pure dramas is right, basically right. It is. sundance can kind of have a uh is notorious for doing a yeah. lot of dramas essentially yeah um so it play at South by Southwest, and at the time it already had distribution in the UK through Studio Canal's British company Optimum Re- Releasing. But at the time of the South by Southwest premiere, it had not secured an American distributor. It was a hit at South by Southwest, but it would not receive uh, an American distributor until about a month later, when Sony Pictures acquired it and released it through their Screen Screen Gems brand. Many U.S. distributors were concerned with picking up the film because they believed American audiences wouldn't understand the strong London, str- strong South London accents. Some distributors even considered using subtitles in it uh, when it, if they were going to release it. Cornish asked the audience at South by Southwest if they had trouble understanding it because people were worried about that, and they all said no. The film would be released in the U.K. on May 11, 2011, uh, two two months after its South by Southwest premiere, but it would face stiff competition with Thor and Fast Five. P- 
putting oh, it man. third at the UK box office that weekend. However, even though it was third and didn't have as many theaters as those two movies, it actually had the highest average gross per screen, meaning it made more money per per theater than all than both right. those movies. It was actually double compared to those films. Wow. Um and so it was I, I don't know if it was a big hit, but it it was I think it still didn't get a lot of like theaters in the UK even. Um, but it, it had a good, strong following there um, when it was released. But when it was released in the US, it was given a very limited release. It ran for less than two months, and the highest screen average it got, or the highest screen count it got in one weekend, was only 66. To put that in perspective, and, and granted, this is 10 years ago or 12 years ago, I think a big movie like, say, a Marvel film will open on 4,400 screens or something like that. And this only topped out at 66. And so it only made $1 million because of that in the U.S. So it ended up being considered a flop in the U.S. due to that release release plan. But while it was a flop in America, it would be praised by critics. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars, commenting on the film's unique characters specifically singling singling out the talent of John Boyega. Many critics instantly said it had the potential of becoming a cult classic, with many saying it would be a star-making performance for John Boyega. Its reputation has continued to grow, and while Cornish has only released one movie since then, which was the, I think, The Boy... Who Would Be King? It was The Kid, the kid Who Would Be oh, King, kid, I believe. Kid, yeah. um, which I wanted to see. I never yeah. saw it. It was like one that, honestly, the trailer didn't entice me, but then when it came out, like... It had really great reviews, which yeah. I was somewhat surprised by. And but it was it was in and out of theaters very quickly is the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's one I want to go back and see. But he's only released those two movies. He just did a Netflix show, I think, called Lockwood and Company that just came out this year. Um, but yeah, besides that, like he hasn't made anything. But in May of twenty twenty one, it was announced that Cornish would be writing and directing a sequel with John Boyega starring and producing in the movie. So there's more. There's a future for Active yeah. Attack to block, and hopefully more people find it. Well, people uh-huh. have been, I think, uh, wanting a sequel for a long time. For a while. Like the fans yeah, have. the fans have. Because yes. I, I looked at that, that you know, that YouTube, the track from the, the movie, and like that's most of the comments. And even from when that, like around when the movie came out, that's most yeah. of the comments like, we need a sequel, we need a sequel. Yeah, because basically a lot of people look, look back at it because of the rise of John Boyega and the rise of Jodie Whittaker, because she ended up being the 13th Doctor in Doctor Who. Yeah. Um... And a lot of people are saying it's like one of the best debuts since like some people compare it to like uh, Neil Blomkamp's District Nine in terms of mm. how strong of a debut it was. Some even said Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs. Um, but basically, it's like it's it has the potential of being this of Gandhi's cult cult status because of of the performance of Boyega and yeah. and Cornish's direction. And I can see this playing. Whitaker. I can see this playing well at like a late night screening. You know. Yeah, I agree. I'm sure, I'm sure it's it would. one. It's yeah. one I've wanted to do for a while. It's late night yeah. screening. Um, because it's it's a short watch, 88 yeah. minutes. Yeah, you're in and out. It's fun. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely worth worth a watch. Yeah, it got audience award at South by Southwest. Uh, for the midnights is what yeah. it was. I guess it's a midnight movie. Um, but yeah, it's it's I think it's a really good film. We'll talk more about what. Well, let's see into that now. What worked about this film, David? Yeah, and uh, well, I, that's one thing I, I um, I now that you've like 
uh, talked about his, uh, his amount of research that that he did. Yeah, that Cornish did. Uh, because I was, it's one thing that I really stuck out to me is like how authentic yep. the teenage interactions feel. Like, granted, you know, I'm not from South London, so I, d- I didn't know if, but it doesn't feel like a guy that just kind of took slang and just kind of infused it. It feels You're like gonna, he actually yeah. lived with these people, you know, like, you know what I mean? Or and, at least, it, and it also feels like he didn't create slang. Right, right. Is Because that's also something you can do. You yeah. can create slang well, to have your own talk. In the case of Clockwork Orange, right? Or, yes. Yeah. But yeah. Um, or yeah. Juno is a big one that I'm, sure. I'm thinking about. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say I'm not saying anything negative. But I'm no, saying, no, 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 no. It was <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, yeah. And I think, but but in regards to like it being a monster movie, I think it's it's mm-hmm. really affected. Like I said, it, and its kills are, are, are pretty brutal. Um, but I think it's, tonally, it feels very much in line with like the rest of the movie. It doesn't feel like oh, it's just being violent for violence sake, right? Yeah. Um, it's creating this kind of gritty world, but we're having we have fun characters that live in this world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's a very enjoyable film. Um, it gives you it gives you good good set pieces, uh, great suspenseful sequences, uh, and just fun characters to like hang out with. You know, no, I agree. Yeah, great cast. I think Cornish's direction again. It's very for a first time filmmaker. It's like it's a very bold movie. It's like you talked about high praise Spielberg and and Cameron for taking um, a genre movie making their debut film. It, it's kind of like like it can be difficult sometimes to pull that off. Like sometimes it can just be like, it's a quick movie to make to be your debut just so you made a movie, but to make like a classic, like say Spielberg or, or yeah. specifically Cameron with the Terminator is like, it's a hard thing. And I think with him is it's, he, he stuck, he was with this idea for a while yeah, and, and he's, he's clearly passionate about it. Yes. I think, I think when filmmakers go, Oh, I'm just gonna make a genre movie because it's easy, it's cheap. And yeah. And you know, I just get a few actors and that kind he's, of thing. Yeah. He's passionate about it. Spielberg was passionate about doing, mm-hmm. you know, Cameron, I think was definitely passionate about Terminator, yep. obviously same thing. He was thinking about that, you know, dreaming of that images from that for a while. For a while. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's different when somebody approaches a genre movie and has like genuine love for that yeah. you know, material or, right. or that, you know, genre in general, but, I agree. Yeah, and and that comes through in the movie. Is my my point, but yeah. Um, so yeah, does anything not work for you? So it's fascinating to me that you say that he had to kind of cut fifteen pages towards the end because I do yeah. think it's not that some of the character decisions in the end don't work for me. Mm-hmm. It's that it. I think there's like there needed to be like a few more moments where we kind of like see the leap there. You know, like yeah. it feels like a couple of times it's like, wait, why are they doing that? Yeah. That's not to say that they, they do have that scene where they're like, okay, this is our exact final plan, blah, blah, blah. But I think just a few points getting to there, it didn't, it didn't jump. Like I said, it, it largely works. I think yeah. and I, and I really appreciate the pace of this movie. It could, you know, what is that like the, the middle section you're talking about of ending yeah section? well i just i think there's a few points where we're like we just kind of rushed to get to the next place and it didn't necessarily you know what i mean yeah uh, and I, I think that's probably came from him having to cut possibly. 50 pages for budget i think know. i think sometimes yeah. the 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 kills came very quickly if that makes sense without fully building up the characters does that make and may, sure. maybe i'm wrong with it it's like there's a few times like it just felt like oh that came quick oh they're dead now okay cool we're moving on to the next it just it's like mm-hmm. there, I guess you could say that there's really not a lot of time to mourn a death if that makes yeah, sense yeah that's a good way to put it yeah. it's just we're kind of going it's like yeah. it's like at the end of the day it's like, it's a great kind of like a big moment for for Moses which I love but I'm also like man four of his friends just or three of his friends just got killed yeah like. He's seen a lot of shit. Um, so just feel it feels like there could be maybe a little more reaction to losing that many people and seeing that many like of your friends dead. There's no, mm. 
has the, the the emotional impact isn't as strong as it could be. I guess is the thing. Yeah. For the characters, That's I fair. think the audience it hits. Yeah. I think for the characters, it doesn't fully hit is the thing. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but I'll, I and I, I should have mentioned this in the in the previous question, but I I do think it's fascinating how he kind of avoids a lot of first feature flaws. I agree. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's why people have argued that this is a very strong debut, you know, mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, of that caliber, um, of that category. Yeah, yeah. That, and again, direction wise, I think for actions that yeah. it's 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 a great it's a great kind of showpiece for all that stuff. Okay. Film facts. I don't have many. Is it Brewis? Who's the? Is that the? Is that the stoner guy? Yeah. So Brewis. Yeah, yeah. I just called him the stoner. I didn't know his character. So Brewis is his name. So apparently, uh, uh, Cornish said that that was like the one that was most based off him. I am so surprised. That's sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> that feels like that feels like the kind of character like a writer. I'm gonna put myself in this movie. Yeah. Uh, not I'm, to say I'm that he doesn't. That he, again, he has he he's, has a very important role in the in the film. You know, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. the one that puts it all together, but. <laughs> it's also the screenwriter putting it all yeah, together. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, right. Um, that's fun. I, I, I was thinking that when I watched it. It's like that's him. That's gotta be. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, that's really kind of it for for film facts. Um, so yeah, that leads me to final. We gotta wait a few years and they're gonna write a whole book yeah. about. <laughs> you know. Yeah. When I interview them all one day. Yeah, no yeah. One. Well, when when this becomes like, I guess I I do think it has that you know, cult audience, but yeah, like yeah. when it becomes a full fledged like yeah. cult class. Hey Joe, if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> come on the show. We'll talk about it more. Um, so awards, the Beatrice Strait Award, actor, actress, lead scenes that kills it. Who would you put in this? I mean, is it Nick Frost? That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> I, it's gotta be right. I think it's Nick Frost. It's yeah. gotta be. He's not in there much. Like even when yeah. he's there, he's, he kind of goes away. It's like it's, yeah. it's the he runs away in the other room. Yeah, I love the like when when they're they're trying to get into the the weed place, and he's just like, uh, it's not that safe in here either, or whatever he says. Um, no, but I still again, I I laughed out loud when he when 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 Sam walks up and he's like, is it okay to go out? Is it safe? And she's like, just shakes her head and he's like, okay, good luck, and just shuts the door. I think it's great. Oh, yeah, Nick Frost for Beatrice Drape. Any pot sex factor award. Supporting actor, actress that is the most memorable. Would you consider jo- uh, Jodie Whittaker co-lead? <sighs> I would. Okay, that's what I figured. Because we start with her at the beginning of it. We're following her, and we see it. We're, 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 I mean, the thing is, we're kind of it's a it's it's a two hander with the perspectives that we're switching back between right. her and and the main relationship Boye of the Moses. movie. I feel is yeah. between them two. Right. I agree. Yeah. I agree. So I would I would put her in lead. Okay. So I feel like does that leave? I, I would probably go with Alex as as Mel, who's who's passed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm having to pick one, yeah, definitely of the group, he's the one that stands out the most. Because he he yeah. he lasts long. I, yeah. I love the scene when <laughs> when when because he when he's being when she's helping him like she's fixing him up because she's a nurse. And at one point, the guy's just like, "We should leave." He goes, "Man, you let me die." <laughs> She has to stay. Like she's like he's like upset that they're like trying to kick the nurse out. Of he's like no, like I, she like I'm alive because like, he's so like no, I want to die because of, if she's not here, right? Um, so I, I think he's great. And you know, like the apology one, yeah, like, like trying to apologize. He's got some great one liners throughout. Like, I just yeah. like he's just kind of there's like kind of was like you kind of you're pretty fit, <laughs> which I just love is just the British way of saying you're kind of hot. Yeah. is the thing. I just did, did you ever watch the In Betweeners? No. Oh, but that's their that's their. That's oh you're they, fit yeah, yeah yeah that's what they just des- how they describe the women in there in their you're boarding school yeah. yeah 
So that's that's what and he's like, You're pretty fit. You got a boyfriend? Uh yeah, I think he's great. He's yeah, he's great, great yeah. If, if we knew you, we wouldn't have stepped to you. Well, it would have been okay to mug me if I didn't live here. Is that how it works? Boy, you's touchy. He's trying to apologize to you, man. You're quite fit, you know. Have you got a boyfriend? Yeah. Are you sure about him? Where is he? Because he ain't exactly looking out for you tonight. He's in Ghana. You go out of an African man? No, he's he's helping children. He volunteers for the Red Cross. Oh, is it? Why can't he help the children of Britain? Not exactly enough, is it? Don't get no nice suntan. The Gene Hackman MVP award, person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc. Um, I think it's tough, right? Between Boyega, it's tough. And Cornish. It, it's tough because it, between Boyega and Cornish. And I think sometimes when it's such a tough choice like this, I end up siding with the director mm-hmm. is a thing. And that's what I'm kind of, I think will be this time. You know, I think it's a star making performance for, from, for Boyega. I think the, and I think you're right. If, uh, if, if his career continues on the trajectory that it should, yeah, then we'll look back at this and be like, and could, it could, Damn. It, it could be Boyega's yeah. thing. Yeah. But I think right now with, Cornish kind of taking his time with the idea like he's again I think about him saying like oh yeah I'm watching like Edgar go off and make movies and this person that I went to went school with make movies and I'm just kind of sitting here doing like comedy sketch show or radio shows um he's kind of just waiting it out and like he's writing with Edgar Wright with uh Adventure 1010 and and Ant-Man but like He's kind of taking his time and then it just kind of, yeah. he kind of like finds the idea and then spends three years on the idea and then really, really does a, a, a great, it puts in great effort to, to honestly research a movie. You don't think you need to research that much. You know what I mean? Right, right. Like it's just a, jo- and, a and genre movie. And then authenticity movie. comes through. Yeah, though. it yeah, does. Yeah. It does. That You spend so long interviewing teenagers and gang members and nurses and just people who live on a, on blocks in South London. That's a lot of work for a movie that, that honestly another filmmaker would just like, Hey, let's put some gang members in this and just like they shoot it as is. Right. And he's really looking at like, I think of John Hughes with kind of trying to get the cadence or something of, of a teenager. He does the same thing here is that he researches mm-hmm. this, like it's a, like it's a, a a straight drama that's a real life event maybe yeah. real people and I think that's that's commendable for Absolutely. a movie that doesn't doesn't fu- that a filmmaker wouldn't always yeah. do for this type of film I agree so he takes get... it he takes it seriously as the thing I agree so Joe Cornish for Gene yeah. Hackman MVP it's funny I forgot earlier when you mentioned the Spielberg thing it, it clicked for me I, I heard an interview with Joe Cornish long time ago I guess mm-hmm. I don't know if it was it was definitely post Tintin but he was talking about the the process of writing Tintin and he said he he went into Spielberg's office or something and Spielberg's like yeah this draft has gone backwards that's what he tells him uh-huh. and then Spielberg gets a call he says hold on hold on a second Joe I'll be right back he goes in the other room and he's talking to some other guy about a different script he goes yeah this script has gone backwards and Joe Cornish was like oh I didn't feel as bad when I heard it him tell another writer the same thing <laughs> He's like, but I'm sitting in front of my hero. And he's telling me the script has gone backwards. Man, that's just, man, that's just a Spielberg thing he yeah, does. Yeah. I'm like, you've gone backwards <laughs> to really get the best work yeah, out of you. Yeah, but I love that. I love that. I completely forgot about that, but that stuck with, with me. Yeah, the script has gone backwards. It's gone backwards. <laughs> one floor down, one nine one. One floor down, 
191. You bell me when you get there. Yeah. You're pissed. Give me that ring. What ring, man? Oh, man. That's ours. It's worth bare pee, man. Give it. Ross Clark, man. Thanks. Even if you outrun them, even if you make it, how are you going to get out? Don't worry about me, man. You don't have to do this, Moses. Yeah, I do. Final questions on Attack the Block. So if you're going to make this movie in the 1990s, David, who yeah. would you cast? So I think I mostly went with um, an American audience, but I mean, uh, American cast. But um, yeah, I, for Moses, I, I pitch Omar Epps. Okay. Uh, I was thinking Juice, you know. Omar, yeah, Omar yeah. Epps would be good. Um, for Ron, I, and he would be significantly younger because I think he's around the same age as Nick Frost in real life. Uh, I was thinking Jack Black. Okay. But I think he has that energy, right? That he could. He I, could agree. That. I agree, especially in the nineties. Especially in the nineties, mid, mid late nineties. Um, it's it's, it's yeah. like it's pre high fidelity. Could be his breakout. Could be his breakout. Um, for Sam, I was thinking Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet. But anyway, I think she, it would have to be well, before Titanic, right? <laughs> yeah, she she'd be vastly younger though, because Kate Winslet was like seventeen, eighteen yeah. when she made Titanic. Um, hmm. But she's the only British show. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> um, I do have hi hats. As well, a pitch for hi hats as well. But I'll wait to see. Who's your pitch for hi hats? Yeah, if if it's pre his, you know, his um, killing, I would say Tupac. Um, yeah, in that period. But if not, then I would go with Wesley Snipes. Okay. And then I also had I want Chris Tucker to be part of the crew. <laughs> as as which crew? As, I, as uh, part of Moses's crew, right? Well, he'd be, he'd be oh, he'd older. also be good in the. He'd be older. Um, he'd also be good in the in the drug den as well. I think, he, I think he'd be a good. I think, be, I think he'd be good. He, he could yeah. be high hat, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, yeah. So for Sam, then we still need. Some. Let me find a Sam. Well, I mean, Chris, oh, Chris Tucker be in his twenties. You know, he would be good. He would actually be good for um, for Samantha's mini driver. I see that mini driver would be a good Samantha yeah. for this period. She's English too. Um, you know, people people always realize that she's English. Um, I think she'd actually be pretty good for this role. Um, so main driver for Samantha. You're going Omar Epps for Moses. Moses yeah. Okay. And then Jack Black for Nick Frost. But again, he'd be all, he would also be significantly younger. But he would. I, be. But I think that character it, it fits right. <laughs> or or you or you go you go Farley at this point in time if it's depending it. on how if it's early yeah. and mid he might be too. Yeah. Hopefully he's not too funny, but he's someone who I think could pull off that type role as Farley. Um, let's go with Farley. I think Jack Black hasn't broken like broken out yet, yeah. but Farley has. Um, I'm sorry to the British listeners that we have that I didn't pick any British people. <laughs> well, um, we got we got the we got for Sam. We, we, yeah, we we, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we snuck one in there. We snuck one in. There. We got Minnie yeah. Driver, who's mostly known for her American roles. <laughs> um. There you go. Um, the Brits will hate me now. I, I'm tr- I'm trying to think who. I'll f- I'll figure something someone out later. Like after we do the show, I feel like it's like oh that would be a That's good. That's what person. always happens, right? Yeah. In the middle of the night. Yeah. We'll just we'll go with that. We'll stick with that. 
hate us because like, it's like we turned a very British movie into a very Americanized version. Well, this is the American '90s version. <laughs> American of- '90s version of Attack the Block. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah. but when you when you texted me that about the attack, attack the apartment complex, when you, when you texted me about it being a '90s cast, I was like, you know what, this does kind of feel like a '90s. No, it does. You, you know it, what I mean? It, it feel like it'd be like a, a '90s like yeah. late night movie, like something yeah. you see on cable or whatever. Like it feels like similar in vein to the faculty. I feel like. I agree. I agree completely with the faculty. Yeah. Not as dark, right. but I think it is, it's a good comparison. Um, okay, next question. Does this film fit with any other, any other genres? I mean, one crazy night movie, like yeah, yeah. like 24-hour, but one crazy night specifically yeah. of the subgenre of 24-hour movies. Um, Could it technically be a siege movie as well? I mean, since he said the assault on Precinct 13. Yeah, influence and, you and, say and, that. And I know they kind of go out of the the block at times but yeah or like their their apartment complex but they do go back in and then yeah, yeah. yeah yeah um i would go with that i mean it's also a contained movie yeah. you argue too because it's mostly all in the the right like it's in the around surrounding area the but, neighborhood for yeah. the most part yeah. neighborhood but also kind of like the like the tower block basically right. um alien movie gang you can kind of say gang movie yeah. in a way well, I mean, um, definitely in the vein of like what he was saying, like the Rumblefish, the Rumble, Warriors, yeah. um, outside, yeah, yeah, those type of like eighties, seventies, yeah. yeah, kind like of t- the teen coming of age, yeah. like um, gang movies, and like but, yeah. and like team, team, yeah, teen team movies, basically. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think those all fit with that. And then how does this film fit with the monster movie genre? Uh, I mean, it's like you know, it's uh, I mean, it's monsters attack, <laughs> but there but, are monsters, but similar to Predator. Um, I think it's a brilliant, you know, one of those brilliant conceits is like, like we were talking about, it's like, where do you, where, like you're trying to come up with a new monster movie. It's like, what, what world hasn't been explored yet for a monster to attack? Yeah. So I think that was a smart, um, you know, way to, to go about this. I agree. But it takes the idea we're talking about, like sometimes with monster movies, you can, you can find a way to make social statements in some way. It's like, in some people's eyes, you could argue that, Boyega, Moses, and and these characters—they are seen as monsters in public perception. Definitely, and I think I think Jody Sam Jody Whitaker's character at first sees them that way, right? As because that they, way, mug, yeah. they mugged her. They mugged her, and then by the end, she ends up sticking up for Moses, right? Exactly. So it's like, but it's the kind of twist of what a monster is, and how right. these kids become the first line of defense. Cornish said that they he saw it be interesting to do that as these characters who are kind of outcast and right. monsters in their world are the ones who have to stand up because the only ones know how to survive right. when the going gets tough. And it ties into that conversation that we talked about where they said, you know, we're going to get blamed for this. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. They, they already know that. They know that. And they're still, you know, still, still doing it to save people. Their yeah. um, and then final genre questions. You might have to pop that one back open. What are some other films you want to mention from of monster movies we didn't discuss this month? Oh. <laughs> uh, well, I wish I'd had that question ahead of time. No, we um, always do it, David. I know you you're not on these episodes uh, usually. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, wait, wait, I mean the whole the whole damn list. Uh, no, but one recently we had a friend watch uh, Tremors, and I thought about yeah, that, yeah. and I was like, and and I I did mention I, I, I was close to picking Tremors. Yeah, and Tremors yeah. is a really fun, um, similar thing. It's like a rural yeah. community, right? And you mm-hmm. wouldn't expect this to, but it's the cast of characters in that small yeah. town. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, but I mean, I think. I mean, I know I mentioned this to you off air. I, I I feel like we did kind of skip over the '50s, and I wish that we had found a way to incorporate that more. Um, yeah. You know, some of the classic like '50s monster movies, um, or even if we dived more into like the Corman camp. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it's it's a oh, wait, we can't we can't mention Corman sure. in, uh, in the in the Shop Shop for, sure, yeah. for sure. But I just mean like I, I wish we had like more directly picked yeah, something yeah, from yeah. these. But I, I mean, I mean, we like it's such a like like it's like we said it's been around since the history of of uh, the cinema started. So yeah. it's hard to like pinpoint for you know points different thing yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, i know that we talked about godzilla at one point right yeah. was the original that godzilla. Been, yeah yeah um but yeah i mean i think you know the movies of that period it would have been um just another perspective but yeah i mean it's yeah uh yeah i think yeah i mean i mean it's hard to one hard, hard to yeah one's out. a shout and give give like to go see i was really close to pull to, to like doing uh fright night the original fright night i ain't never watched the, the remake fright night but the original fright night i was very close to doing didn't do it um Movies we covered before, The Thing, of course, go see that. Yeah, which um, I'm wearing the show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Gremlins we've covered before as well. Um, yeah, go listen to that episode. Yeah. But go I think that was that. an interesting precursor to this, right? Um, yeah, you know, I yeah. That. I mean, again, talking about the suburb, the aspect yeah. of suburban horror in a way, I think right. this kind of fits into that. Um, and even like tonally, I feel like, right? Like mm-hmm. balancing that. Balance the com- the comedy and With, action of yeah. it all, yeah, and, Cause, cause, and the more like violent attacks. Yeah, yeah I agree, I agree. Because I I don't know if I would consider this like a full blown comedy, but it is funny, right? Right. Um, and I don't know if I would consider it a full blown action movie, but there is action as the right. thing. Um, it's it's it's, it's an interesting kind of hybrid mashup of all these different genres. Um, but yeah, and then finally, what did you learn this month, David? I, I learned we need more monster movies. <laughs> I learned that the real monster is humanity. No, I'm just, uh, yeah. One thing, one thing that yes. uh, has stuck with me is, I mean, obviously, I assumed we would like dive into practical effects and whatnot, but I think, I think it's sadly, it's an aspect of the industry that mm-hmm. it, it hasn't completely gone wayside, but it, it's, it, it's, and, and yes, there has been like this kind of revamp of like, oh, we need to go back to practical stuff, but like, like we talked about with like, you know, uh, Stan Winston and, and all those guys, it's yeah, like, Rick Baker, yeah, and Rick yeah. Baker, and all those guys, it's like, there's not really like a modern day equivalent to that yeah right? and i think that is a sad sad fact uh, and going to the whole cg discussion no i don't think cg is evil i think it's a great tool <laughs> but like we talked about with this movie it's like you can you, you can still do practical stuff so that the actors have stuff to balance on um so that you kind of have that design in camera right and then you can kind of add on to it it should be for plussing right the thing it should right. be for plussing and never should be the like i don't think i don't think uh, be, it's it's like being in a room and nothing's there and you're just like yeah. cool let's pretend it's a tennis ball right you're running you know, tennis ball and, and and now you don't even need that really yeah. is a thing that's right. just for eye lines yeah. it's, it, it's sometimes um and of course like Jurassic Park for example had great um strides in, in CG but also they had practical stuff as well it, it was yeah. a mixture it was a, it and, was a great and, mixture and it's very important for the <laughs> for a monster movie right the actor is supposed to act scared of the monster so yeah. like if you just had them run it's you know you can't really yeah. sell. It's harder to sell. You're gonna get like a the terrible screen and blowout. Yeah, yeah. What it's gonna be. So I think that's one thing that I that I like been thinking about a lot. It's um because like diving into that. I mean, there was a lot of work that went into these effects yeah. and bringing these things to life on screen. And not to say that that doesn't happen in in, in the modern era, but well, it's 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 just different. Yeah. It, well, it's something so because yeah, I, I I knew like oh practical effects in a monster movie that's great, but it is kind of interesting looking at horror as a whole. Yeah. And being like oh. This one specific subgenre of horror is just like dominated by practical effects, like fully. It's like, and usually the ones that are the best, the the best films have these unbelievable jaw dropping practical effects, yeah. makeup, whatever. If it's the thing, if it's uh, Jurassic Park, if it's um, uh, even I think 
Jaws to an extent with the practical effects of the shark. Yeah. But but in Pan's Labyrinth with Del Toro stuff, The Fly, like the list goes on and on of this incredible makeup, incredible effects in some way, or incredible blend of effects. And if you look at horror or really in our genre, it doesn't really have like that's not really prominent in any really genre like right. this one is. And so that was kind of the one thing I learned coming into this is just how what all you can do uh, in this genre in a practical effect way, effects way. Um, I also find it fascinating just how you can, which I always knew this, this is horror, kind of the interesting thing about horror is that how you can use real life issues in some way as, yeah. as kind of a subtext to a horror right. film. Um, this, the, the monster genre not done as much, I say, as other genres, but you could do things like, um, if it's if it's like corporate, I think aliens could be like corporate greed if you want Absolutely. to. Absolutely, Jaws with, as well. Yeah. Jaws is that way. Um, um, but then ex- or at least like anti-capital. Well, not anti-capitalist, but like, like satire of capitalism. Satire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I agree. Um, even King Kong, an extent yeah. of like taking take, taking and like bringing him over to New York and like this whole thing. I mean, Little Shop does that a little bit too. It's like, and uh, and there's a lot of ways you can kind of explore different elements or di- like real life issues within horror and this and a monster is just a way to kind of like like little shot we talked about on the patreon about how like that's like the green monster audrey too is greed and right. and and uh and seymour is feeding because he's, he's greedy he's he's envious he's jealous or whatever he's feeding the monster he's fe- feeding the green monster over and over again to get more 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 and that's just a very simple way to kind of tell that story but you can do that with monster movies is the thing. Um, yeah, that's what I learned. And I think that is it on monster movies. So next month, uh, we're going to have, we're going to do something di- or not different. We've done heist movies before, but next month we're going to do a kind of a, a draw the line of a difference between a heist movie and a con artist movie. So we're talking about con movies next month. We haven't picked the, pick the movies yet. It'll be, ha- it will be happening soon. Uh, you might be surprised, but if you think of con movies, I think you have an idea of what we will be discussing. Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, if you haven't signed up to our Patreon, be sure to do that. We have the $1, $5, $10 tiers. You get more exclusive episodes of us talking about movies, which talked about Little Shop of Horrors this past, uh, uh, past week or so on there. We'll talk about something else soon as well. Um, that's a way to kind of hear more from us and that Patreon kind of supports the, or helps the show tremendously. And, just helps us keep doing this show the way it's the way we're doing it. Uh, it's like we do a lot of research and getting a few dollars is helpful sometimes, I guess you could say, to spend time away from other jobs uh, to do this. So we thank you to everyone who's doing that so far. Much appreciated. But that's all we have for you in this episode. If you have any questions for us, feel free to contact us at sensationpodcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, comments, kind words. Tell us what you thought of Monster Movie Monster Movie May, whatever you want. Um, also, if you're a new listener of the show or a fan of the show, and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us, be sure to subscribe to the Sensation Podcast to stay up to date on all of our new episodes. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, be sure to write us a review on your preferred podcast platform. These reviews really help us out to, t- to gain engagement. The more engagement we get, the more people see us. Same thing on social media. The more you share something, the more you like something, the more you comment, the more people see it that way. So please write a review, share us on social media, whatever you want to do. Follow us. Be sure to follow us. That's the big thing. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, TikTok, all those places. David, thank you so much for joining me again. 
Thanks for having me this month, man. It's been fun. And it's been fun. Yeah, thanks for kind of taking over as Thomas has been away and living the dream. It's yeah, living the dream. Um, and thank you all for listening. We hope to listen to more episodes soon. Bye.